Would you bow with me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you, Father, for the cross. Father, when we, when we wonder and ponder how it can be that you would, um, you could that, that rescue us from our sin, that we would be washed free, uh, washed clean, that we would be set free. Father, that the, the slavery to our sin that so shackled us, uh, Father, would be, we'd be freed from that. Those chains would be broken, Father. That, Father, that we would go from being rebels against you to being welcome members of your family. Uh, Father, we, we can only look to the cross. And Father, we know it's only because of what Jesus did there. And Father, we learn about the gospel from your word. Father, we learn about our sin from your word. We learn about how to be saved from your word. We learn about what our lives are to look like as followers of Christ from your word. Lord, we are convicted by your word. We are encouraged by your word. Uh, Father, we, we, we go to your word to find truth. Father, eternal truth. Father, truth that never fades. Truth that never, uh, never falls away, Lord. Uh, truth that is... Uh, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Father, truth that is always relevant in our lives. Father, we, we turn our eyes and our hearts and our minds and attention to your holy word written down for us. And we thank you for it, Father. And we ask that as we, um, as we study, Lord, as we read, as we seek to apply the truths of your word to our lives, Father, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work in this place, in our hearts today. Father, that we would leave different, changed from the way that we walked in this morning. Father, we love you. We give this time of our service to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How do you know if something or someone is alive? Something or someone? Well, there's probably a lot of lot of things that we could say. I, I probably you're thinking heartbeat, breathing, that kind of thing. What about things that don't even necessarily breathe? At least not the way we breathe. You know, like a tree. Okay, I know there's probably some scientific way that trees somehow breathe, but I'm, I don't. I don't mean like not like we breathe. But how do we know that a tree is alive? Well, one pretty sure way to tell if something is alive or not is to look and see whether it's growing. Most things that are alive are in some way, shape, or form growing. And whenever that thing or that person stops growing, then we can at best say that that thing or that person is sick. And at worst, we would say that thing or that person has died. One mark of a healthy church member is that that member is a growing disciple. This would be a mark of a healthy Christian. But in in an even more specific sense, as we're walking through this series, looking at marks of a healthy church member, we can say without a doubt that God's Word says without a doubt that if we are a healthy member of the body of Christ, then we are a growing disciple. Just like we can look at a tree that's that's no longer growing and we can say, that tree is sick. That tree is probably dying. That tree might even be dead. We can look at ourselves and say, if I'm not growing, at best, I'm I'm sickly in my walk with the Lord. But it could be that, take it to the far extreme, 
that I don't even have a walk with the Lord. Maybe I've been pretending to be a Christian. Maybe I thought that Christianity was something that it's not. But we should be able to examine our lives as believers in Christ and see that we were growing as disciples. Now, with all of these marks that we've been looking at, is there always room for improvement? Yeah, there, there is. And none of us have arrived. And so we want to make sure not only that we are growing, but that we're learning to grow even more in our walk with the Lord. Now, as we consider this passage in 2 Peter, where we're going to be today, 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 3 through 11, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, we're going to be talking about this, this, this uh, truth of that we're to be growing in our walk with the Lord. And, and one of the, when we think about growing in our walk with the Lord, we're thinking about things that we do. There are things that we should be doing, things that we shouldn't be doing as followers of Christ. But let me say from the outset that we always, every time we talk, talk about what we are to be doing as Christians or how we are to be living as Christians, we always have to make sure we don't fall into the trap of thinking that our good works are the things that make us disciples of Jesus. The only way that you and I, as we've talked about and sung about already this morning, that you and I could ever be called a disciple of Jesus is not by any of our own works, but by the grace and mercy of God. Even before we even get to verse 3, if you'll just uh, turn your attention to verse 1 of Second Peter. He, he writes, Simeon, Pete, Simeon Peter, a servant of an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's, he's going to tell us who he's writing to to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, and then notice this key phrase, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This passage that we're going to look at is going to call us to live a godly life, a holy life, a righteous life. But we always have to start with the truth of the gospel that it is not our righteousness that puts us in a right standing before God. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to our lives through His loving kindness and mercy, our faith in Him as Lord and Savior of our lives. Then, once we have that right standing with God before God, having the right, been clothed with the righteousness of Christ, then we are ready to talk about growing in our discipleship. Okay, so we want to start there and then we will look at verses three through 11 and see what does it mean to be a growing disciple of Christ? What does this passage have to say about being a growing disciple of Christ? If I could put it just simply and then we'll dive into this passage. It's this. Our lives will look different and will look more and more different than the world around us. If we are growing as disciples of Jesus, if we are growing as disciples of Jesus, our lives will look different. But catch this next part. We'll look more and more different. The longer that we're following Jesus, our lives will look more and more different than the world around us. Now, when we turn to this passage here in Second Peter, uh, Apostle Peter writing this letter, and we've already seen in verse one that he's writing to Christians. And if we were to look at um, all three chapters, it's a fairly short book, we would see that one of the issues that he's dealing with, really the main issue, is that there are these false teachers. And he really spends chapter 2 and chapter 3 talking about these false teachers. And so what he's going to warn them about, these Christians about, is to not be like these false teachers, not only in their beliefs, 
but also in their behavior. If, you, if we had time to read through all of Second Peter, we would see that these false teachers not only are teaching wrong beliefs, they're practicing wrong behavior. Their wrong beliefs has led to wrong behavior. And what the Apostle Peter is concerned about is that these Christians would not only be led astray in what they know and think about God, but that they would be led astray in what they, how they live in light of what they believe about God. So right belief and right behavior. We could say that a summary of what Peter is trying to say, we could find at the end of the very last verse of this letter. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. But grow. There you go. That's how he ends his letter, which is a summary of why he's writing. But grow. His desire for his readers, for these Christians, is is that they would be growing all for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. Let's turn our attention to this passage, verses 3 through 11. This is the word of God. You'll follow along as I read. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way... There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Genuine disciples of Jesus are growing disciples of Jesus. There's our kind of summary statement for today. Genuine disciples of Jesus are growing disciples of Jesus. I hope you notice some some key words there in that passage. We have the word godliness repeated a few times. We have these words that that have to do with our actions. Think words or phrases like make every effort to supplement. Practice these qualities if you're practicing these qualities. So we have this 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 uh, theme running through this passage of godly living, these actions that we're supposed to be taking, but we also see behind that the work of God in our lives, that it's not just us doing these things all by ourselves. I want to share with you from this passage six truths about a growing disciple. Now, as I've been studying through this passage, there is so much just incredible, beautiful truths, information, however you want to word that, about the gospel and about our lives as Christians. We're not going to look at all the details of this passage today. Uh, That would take a long, long, long time to go through every little detail. 
Uh, but it's a good practice. And I hope that as we look at just kind of six basic truths about growing as a disciple of Jesus from this passage, that it will actually spark your interest. And maybe even this week you'll go, go home and you'll study this passage in more detail. But six basic truths that we find here about our, uh, our growth as disciples. Number one, a growing disciple depends upon divine power. A growing disciple depend, depends upon divine power. That's, I didn't realize how hard that was to say when, when I wrote that. Uh, I, I'll not try to say that five times fast because I'll probably say something I shouldn't. Um, so as, you, as we think about growing in our walk with the Lord, I think it's incredible that Peter starts right here where he does. Because I think he knows our hearts. He knows the hearts of the readers, the Christians that he is writing to, Peter knows his own. And he knows that sometimes we get discouraged in our walk with the Lord. Sometimes it's just because of our own just sinfulness. It's, it's, it's because of us and who we are. And we, and we are, are, it's that battle that Paul talked about in Galatians, war between the flesh and the spirit. And, and it can be discouraging to say, I know I'm supposed to live this way, but God, it's so hard because... Because this battle's raging in me of right versus wrong. What do I do? And not only that, not only this battle inside of us, but then there's this war raging all around us. And we have temptations all around us. We live in a world, as if we skip down to verse 4, it says that, um, that, that there's corruption in this world because of sinful desire. We look all around us and we see corruption not only in us, but outside of us. We see sinful desires around us and we have people pulling at us from different directions and they're wanting us to, to follow the ways of the world. And it's, it's, it's just hard. Let's just be honest. Following Christ, being a disciple of Jesus is hard. Jesus said it would be hard. He said, he said in this world we would have many, many tribulations. But then he, Jesus said, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Notice where Peter starts. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. I'm going to go a little bit more into verse four, by which he has granted to us his very precious and very great promises. Two things that we see that God really specifically the person of Jesus Christ, because that's who he's. Uh, Peter's referring to in verse 2, Jesus has given us out of his divine power. And we could spend a long time just talking about how powerful his divine power is. But it is powerful. There's nothing more powerful than the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of that power, notice the two things he has given to us. He has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's given us all we need. He's given us everything we need. Whatever sin that you're battling against, that you've battled against this week, maybe you've been battling against it for a while. Maybe as you were battling against it this morning. Whatever sin that is, God has given us everything. His divine power has given you everything that you need to turn from that sin. In Christ, because of your relationship with Him, the power of the Spirit in you, to say no the corruption of this world, to say no to the simple desires that often wage war in our hearts, and to live a life of godliness. Because that means we have no excuse, Christians. We have no excuse to look like the world 
in our lives. That's encouraging to me. Because he doesn't say, now if you just work really, really hard and I'm going to stand back here and watch you and you better do what's right. He says, no, I'm going to fill you with my power and I'm going to give you everything that you need. And not only does he give us everything we need, but notice here that Peter even directs our attention into the future. We're going to see that this directing our attention to the future kind of runs through this. And we would actually see it run through the entire letter. By which, verse 4, he has granted to us or given to us, the second thing, his precious and very great promises. He has given us his precious and very great promise. So God has given us everything we need out of his divine power to live a life of godliness. And he's given us his precious and very great promise. What, what promises is Peter talking about? Well, we could think about the promises of salvation, such as everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a beautiful promise. But I think as we look at this passage, and if we were to study it in context of the whole letter, we would see that the promises that Peter is talking about are rooted in that gospel truth, but he's thinking about what Jesus has yet to do. If you'll go to uh, flip over to chapter 2, verse 13. We find this word promise again. And here he's a little more specific about what promise he's talking about. He says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, I want you to think about that promise in light of our just daily struggle against sin and trying to live godly lives as Christians. If there was no promise that the sinfulness and corruption of this world would ever end and it would just be this eternal struggle of good versus evil, and that would be discouraging. That would discourage us in trying to pursue godliness in our lives. However, Jesus has promised that He's coming back, that He will come back and He will make all things new. That one day, for those of us who are disciples of Jesus... We will live in his kingdom that has been completely purified of all evil. We live in his kingdom now. Just that final purification of evil hasn't yet taken place. And so as I think about that God has given me all I need to live a life of godliness, and he has promised that one day I will live in his kingdom where only righteousness dwells, now I am encouraged, I am motivated to depend upon the power of God as I seek to grow as a disciple. It will be a futile effort if you try to grow as a disciple of Jesus and all you're thinking about is you, your own ability, and this world around us right now. We have to get our eyes off of ourselves, onto the power of God, and onto what is coming into eternity. And then, then, we will be able to grow as disciples of God. A, a growing disciple depends upon divine power. Number two, we see this in the second part of verse four. A growing disciple reflects divine character. A growing disciple reflects divine character. And we're going to talk about this even in the, in the um, subsequent verses. But verse 4, after he talks about this promise, he says, so that. Okay, so in light of the fact that God has given us, through his divine power, all we need and great promises, why has he done that? 
so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, the fact that he says that we get to become partakers of divine nature doesn't mean that we actually become gods. There are some some religions, some, some different belief systems out there that say that we are gods that we are divine and or one day we'll be divine um, and be gods ourselves that's not what he's talking about think about what he's talking about in context become partakers of the divine nature this is a call towards godliness if you look at that verse at the end, uh, that word at the end of verse three his own glory and excellence your translation might have a different word there it's talking about the moral excellence of god that everything about him is perfect, and we get to be partakers of that. Now, there's certain things about God that we'll never be, that we'll never imitate. For instance, God knows everything. You and I will never know everything. God is everywhere all the time. You and I will never have the ability to be everywhere all the time. God is all-powerful. You and I will never be all-powerful. God is love, and he has called us to love how he is love. God is patient, and he has called us to be patient. God is compassionate towards the lost, and he calls us to be compassionate like he is compassionate. So there are certain qualities about God that we actually get to participate in. We get to be like God in those cases. And he says that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We can also not only back up to the previous verses to understand what divine nature is, but we can also look ahead to the rest of verse 4 to understand what this divine nature is that we are to become partakers of having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This divine nature is sinlessness. It's a growing in sinlessness, in sinning less, in sinning less, in sinning less, in sinning less. The world is corrupt through sinful desire, and God has given us everything we need to not look and live like the world in its corruption, in its sin, what's the opposite of that? Holiness, righteousness, godliness. And we've escaped that. And that just takes our minds right back to the gospel. How have we escaped it? Because we ran real fast away from it? No, because God reached down through His Son and lifted us out of it. Because God has rescued us from this world, why then would we still look like this world we are to reflect more and more the moral excellence of god we are to look less and less like the moral depravity the moral corruption the moral sewer of the sinful world around us growing disciple reflects divine character we want to look more and more like jesus christ But that leads us right into this next section. This is where Peter's been working up to. In verses 5 through 7, we learn that a growing disciple, this is number 3, puts faith into action. A growing disciple puts faith into action. Look at verses 5 through 7. 
Peter gives this list here. He says, for this very reason, okay, so again, in light of everything I've just said, Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort. Okay, Paul's right there. So he's told us all that God has done and is doing for us. He has rescued us. We've escaped. And it's not something that we've done. He's clothed. We go back to verse 2. He's, re- he, he's clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. He's given us everything we need. He's given us these great promises about what's coming. So in light of all that he's done, now we just sit back and do nothing and let him just do everything and we don't really play a role. No. Verse 5. Make every effort. In light of this, you do work. You do things. You make every effort. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list of Christian characteristics or qualities that should characterize us as disciples of Jesus. I mean, that list could go on and on and on. But we see summary lists of these things throughout the Bible. The writers of the New Testament gives us, gives us lists of sins that we're not to be doing and gives us lists of, of characteristics or qualities that we are to be living out and practicing. And so Peter gives a list. And it may be tempting to go through and say, well, if you do the first one, then you can do the second one, and then you can do the third one, then you can do the fourth one. That's not really how this list works. Kind of think about it instead of steps. Think about it more as a circle. They're all equally important. So you can't say, well, let's see, I can't have any self-control because I still don't have enough knowledge. Well, I'm going to have to get some more knowledge before I can even try to have self-control. And until I have self-control, I can never have steadfastness or perseverance. And so I'm just going to not even think about being steadfast in my faith until I work on getting some more knowledge so that then I can have, see what see the point? We don't just start working down this list. We're to be doing all of these things all the time. All these things are to be characterizing our lives, and we're to be growing in all of these things all of the time. Just consider that list for a minute. We, we take this faith, and remember, he's not saying add something to the gospel in order to be saved. We've already clarified that all the way back up in verse 1, that we have righteousness because of the righteousness of Jesus. We're not adding anything to the gospel What we're saying is genuine disciples put their faith into practice. We can read about this even in the book of James. That faith alone saves us, but that faith that saves us is not all alone. It's not all by itself. We trust in Christ. God rescues us by His grace, not by our works, but as Sure, as we have salvation by God's grace through our faith, that salvation then results in us living a life full of good works, full of godliness, as this passage says. We grow in our moral excellence, in our virtue, in choosing what is right versus choosing what is wrong in our world. We grow in our knowledge. We grow in our understanding of who God is of what the gospel is. We grow in our understanding of the truths of Scripture. I hope that you're growing daily in your understanding of God as you study His Word. We, we, we grow in, in our self-control. 
the way that we interact with the sinful world around us. There are opportunities to practice self-control all the time. Now, maybe this is because something that I, I, I struggle with. A lot of times we think about self-control. We think about, we think about anger or, or bad temper or something like that. And, and, and we should think about that. Self-control definitely has to do with that. And I know, I know for me that's something that, that I have to constantly be on guard against the temptation to, to snap at somebody. Um, and, or, or, to, or, to, or to say something to a person that I would, I would be ashamed for God to hear and know that I, that I said that. Just to act out of that anger and act impulsively in that. But what about self-control at the dinner table? What about self-control at Walmart? So, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's, there's ways to practice self-control all around us. And we live, when we think about the corrupted world around us, we see, we see that there's a lack of self-control, right? I mean, you, you have an opportunity to get a promotion at work. But you know that that means that you're going to have to spend hours and hours and hours more away from your family. What does self-control look like in that moment? To consider the consequences say, you know what, more dollars in the bank is not worth less time at home right now. And so I'm going to have self-control, even though impulsively I want to jump at this opportunity. So, you know, um, going in debt just to buy a bunch of stuff for Christmas is probably not a thing that honors God. So I'm going to have self-control as I think about shopping this Christmas season. You see how practical this is? I mean, we can read the Bible and we can leave it in this, in this kind of otherworldly atmosphere out here. Or we can read it how God intends for it to be read. How Peter meant for the readers as Christians to write this and say, how does this look like in my, what does it mean to be self-controlled today? What does it mean to be self-controlled on the way home from church? What does that look like? When the person pulls out in front of me. What does it mean to be self-controlled in that moment? What does it mean to be self-controlled when my kid dumps his or her milk all over the floor for the seventh time? This is real life. What does it look like in that moment? Does my life look like the corrupted world around me that acts off of sinful desire? Or does my life look different? And am I growing in my life looking different? Is the way I responded when my kid's milk hit the floor for the seventh time, today, does that look better, that response looked more godly than it looked last year when my kid's milk hit the floor for the seventh time? I want to continue to grow in that. I can't doubt a lot on self-control, so I'm going to have to keep on Keep on rolling. Steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection. We could spend a lot of time there and love. Um, we don't have time to do that. Uh, we are to put our faith into action. Unfortunately, some people think that you just say a prayer, say you believe in Jesus, you get a ticket to heaven, you get, get out of hell free card, and then you just keep living your life however you're supposed to live. Well, we're saved by God's grace. 
We don't have to, we don't have to work to, to earn, earn God's love. I say, amen. So that doesn't matter how I live my life now. Wrong. Wrong. Apostle Paul in Romans said that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. But he said, do we then sin so that grace should abound? Absolutely not. Because we have died to our old self. We have died to our sin. We have been raised to walk in newness of life. The gospel is a free gift of salvation. And when we receive that gift, it changes who we are. And there are gospel demands that are then placed on our lives as we live out this free gift of salvation. All right, number four. We've got to keep going. Number four, a growing disciple remains useful to God. A growing disciple remains useful to God. Notice verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that idea of growth again. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, Christian, wherever you're at in your Christian life, you have not arrived. You are not finished growing. You grow and you grow and you grow and you grow until you're standing in the new heavens and the new earth with righteousness all around you. You grow and you grow and you grow. These qualities are, qualities are to be ever increasing in our lives. But notice the result of that. In verse 8 says, this keeps you from being unuseful or unfruitful are ineffective in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're either growing in Christ-likeness or you're growing in your uselessness to God and His kingdom. Can I say that one more time? You and I are either growing in our Christ-likeness in godliness and holiness or we are growing in our uselessness to God and His kingdom. I don't know about you, but when Christ returns one day, I want to be found a faithful servant. I want to be found being useful to my God in His kingdom work. But if I am not growing in Christ's likeness, then God is not going to be able to use me as He desires. And here's what's encouraging about this. There may be some of you that say, you know what, I would love to be useful in God's kingdom, but... I just don't have a whole lot to offer. I look at look at I'm not look at my smarts, I'm not very smart. Look at my skills, I'm not very skillful. Look at my talents, I don't have a lot of them. My gifts, I just don't see that I'm very gifted. I want you to notice this this just jumped out at me even this morning. I was looking back over this passage. This is so encouraging that our usefulness Our usefulness to God is not as much dependent on our abilities and our talents and our giftedness as as it is on our humble, grace-based pursuit of godly living. You want God to use you? You want to be an effective disciple and servant in the kingdom of God? Seek to put away sin in your life and to put on holiness in your life by the power of God in your life. Don't worry about 
how much talent you don't have or have or your, your, your gifts or, or how smart you are or all of that. You know who God is going to use in his kingdom? It is the people. It is the men and women. It is the children who have repented of sins, trust in Christ for salvation, and who are seeking to look like Jesus and not like the world around us. That's who's going to be effective in kingdom work. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you're living a lifestyle that brings disrepute, dishonor to the name of Jesus Christ, God will not be able to use you. You can think you don't have anything to offer to God, but if you have a heart set on looking like Jesus, on repenting of sin when you see it in your life, and on living a holy life that brings honor to Him, man, you're right where God wants you, and you are someone that God can use in a a mighty, amazing ways for His kingdom purposes. A growing disciple remains useful to God. You see, complacency in our lives will lead to uselessness. When I think, well, I've arrived. I I don't have to grow anymore. No, I'm supposed to keep growing. Complacency leads to uselessness, but that complacency stems from forgetfulness. How do we get to a point in our lives where I think, well, I've grown as much as I can grow. There's not anything left for me to do. Look at the next verse. Number five, a growing disciple remembers the gospel cleansing. A growing disciple remembers the gospel cleansing. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities. So here's someone who has not been pursuing Christ-likeness. They lack these qualities. This verse says that person is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. We look at our lives and say, yeah. I'm not growing how I'm supposed to be growing in in my walk with the Lord. I've kind of got complacent. I really hadn't been too concerned. I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job and God should be satisfied with that. I'm satisfied with that. It's complacency. I'm not increasing in these qualities. Well, where did that come from? Verse 9 tells us it came from forgetfulness. We've forgotten the gospel of Jesus. We have forgotten that our sins have been cleansed. That we are not who we once were. There's no way that you can reflect on the cross and your cleansing from the cross, from the blood of Christ, and then not care how you live your life. There's no way that you could wake up in the morning and then throughout the day be thinking about what Jesus did for you on the cross, laying down his life to take away your sin, and then that have no impact on how you live your life. That is impossible. So if we find in our lives that, hey, I've been living in this sin and, I, and it hasn't really been concerning me, or there's, I haven't been taking steps to grow in my walk with the Lord, haven't been spending time in God's Word, haven't been spending time in prayer, been neglecting the gathering of the body of Christ, almost guarantee you it comes back to forgetfulness. You're not remembering the gospel cleansing. Because when we remember what Jesus did on the cross, that propels us into wanting to live in a way that brings honor and glory to the one who died for our sins. The cross cleanses us and it sets us on a new path. We're cleansed from our 
former sins. There are former sins. We don't live in these things anymore, Peter says. And finally, number six, a growing disciple lives in light of eternity. A growing disciple lives in light of eternity. I'm going to I'm gonna have to squeeze these two verses just down into a couple of minutes, but notice verse 10 and 11. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Quickly notice God's sovereignty and our responsibility when it comes to our salvation and our walk with the Lord. This says that we are to be all the more diligent to make our calling and election sure. It's talking about God's decision of salvation in eternity past. And what Peter's talking about here is what Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 1, where it says that God chose us in Christ from before the foundation of the world. I love that gospel truth because it leads to us understanding the security of our salvation. But don't lose sight of our responsibility in this passage. He says, therefore, be all the more diligent to make your calling to salvation, to make your election to salvation sure. How do we do that? By practicing these qualities. By putting into practice the faith that we have. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians. He says that we are to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. That there is work for us to do as Christians. God gives us a gift of salvation and then we spend the rest of our lives putting that salvation into practice. And as we put that salvation into practice, we see God growing us as disciples. We see that I'm sinning less today than I did yesterday. I'm putting off sins in my life. I'm putting on these Christian qualities, brotherly affection and love. Then that makes me sure. It gives me assurance in the fact that one day, and here's this living in light of eternity, how Peter ends this passage, that one day God is going to provide for me a rich entrance into his eternal kingdom. Notice how he ends it. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is this way? What is this way? It is practicing godliness in an ever-increasing manner as a response to the gift of salvation, the free gift of salvation that God has given us by His grace. Here's a beautiful truth. Here's a beautiful truth. That as we grow as disciples, our confidence in our salvation increases. Not because we look at our lives and say, wow, look how good I've become. But because we look at our lives and say, I would never be living this way if it were not for, for the transforming power of God through His Son, applied by His Spirit in my life. And I look at my life, and I see who I am today compared to who I was five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. I'm more confident in my salvation because I say, God must be at work in my life because if it were up to me, I would not be where I am today. I would be lost in the corruption of this world. But then you know what that makes me want to do? Not sit back and just say, well, if I've arrived, 
It makes me want to grow more and more and more because in 20 years, I don't want to be where I am today in my walk with the Lord. Every day, we're preparing for that rich entrance into the eternal kingdom. Are you looking more and more like a citizen of that kingdom? Are you growing in your walk with healthy church is filled with healthy church members. And one mark of a healthy church member is that he or she is growing inside. What area of your life, Christian, do you need to grow in? God has given you everything you need to grow. Will you just cooperate with Him? What, what, what step of obedience is God calling you to today in your walk with the Lord? Maybe there's, as we camped out on a little bit, an area of a lack of self-control in your life. That's just one thing that Peter brought out. Maybe it's something else. Are you committed to growing? Maybe you're here today and you can't grow as a disciple of Jesus because you're not a disciple of Jesus. You can't look alive because you're dead in your sin. And so what you need to do is you need to trust in the righteousness of Jesus and his death on the cross, and then begin this journey of being a disciple of Christ that ends one day with a rich entrance, with a rich entrance into the kingdom of God for all of eternity. Why would we not want to be on this path of discipleship? What, what does this world have to offer that's better and that Christ has given us and promises us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us grow as disciples of you. Father, there's someone here today who's never trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that they would place their faith and trust in Jesus and repent of their sins today and become a disciple. Father, for those of us who are disciples, Father, help us to not be complacent. Wake us up out of our slumber. Help us to examine our lives according to your word. Point out areas of our lives where we need to grow. And then help us not be discouraged. Help us to look to you, the one with all power, who has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Father, help us to grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.